I'm Anna Webb. Welcome to A Dog's Life. Hey, Mr. Binks, you know how we've got lots of dog training books on our shelves and how I'm always recommending different ones to different people. Well, this is why we're jumping on Zoom now to talk to Deirdre Ryan about her book called Trained Puppies Don't Bite Children. Deirdre Ryan, gosh, I'm so excited that you're on a dog's life. Thank you, Anna. So delighted to be here. Now, you're an introduction from a mutual friend of ours called John O'Callaghan, isn't that right? Absolutely, absolutely. He's doing great things over here and more to come, hopefully. Well, yes. Well, John reached out to me and asked for some advice and not that he needs it for um, his initiative called Dog Advocacy Island. And I helped a little bit with with the website and, and so on. And since then, it really has steamrolled ahead, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And he seems to have a lot of support with people volunteering their time and their expertise. So hopefully he can get in there at the the level it needs to be addressed with puppy farms here in Ireland at the political level and try and make some changes. Yeah, it's it's a big journey ahead for him, I think. It is a big journey and it's um, kind of like a bridge that others have tried to cross, but uh, got halfway over that big river and uh, fell in. Um, (laughs) So I'm really hoping this time you know but this is a much more kind of strategic operation actually but of course I'm mentioning all of that because you're obviously in Ireland and as one of their the leading behavior and training experts over there and you must see do you Deirdre puppy farm dogs quite often or is it that you think more of them are actually shipped across the world no, we're so well, you know, I'm sure plenty of them are going abroad, but there's plenty of them. On, I'm a groomer as well, Anna. So, you know, I do see them. All the doodles need intense grooming, as you know. So, uh, you know, I do see them. And the sad thing is you see supposedly responsible, well-educated, you know, family with means. And, and you know, they, these are people who are still going out buying from puppy farms you know whether they just think that's just the norm that's the only way to get these doodle types or they don't have the patience to wait and to research maybe an alternative breed or an alternative breeder um it's it's frustrating to see that you know people who should know better are still going out supporting these horrendous places it really is Yes, gosh, that must be really frustrating because without doubt, you know, the the puppy's initial start in life is so dreadful that behaviorally, certainly, and indeed when you're grooming a dog, you know, a dog's behavior kind of can mean the difference between being bitten or not. Absolutely. And um, there's, there's a doodle I'm thinking of that came from, a, you know, a prolific um, puppy breeder down in Wicklow of these, you know, doodle, Aussie doodle types. And they hadn't gotten the, the puppy until you could tell because the puppy was feral, like was terrified, looked gorgeous, but was absolutely terrified, would bite you if you if you didn't handle her very, very warily. Um, and they didn't get her till 20 weeks. And I was like, gosh, that's very old. You know why? You know, did a home fall through or what? And she was like, oh, no, she got neutered. 
So, you know, there is breeders over here neutering because they want to protect their own turf, neutering these puppies at 12, 14 weeks of age in order to protect, you know, the profits that they will continue to keep themselves and not spread out around the country. And, you know, that puppy is never going to be right. I still groom her and she's fine in her own little, you know, familiarity in her own group. But she's a very anxious, highly reactive little dog. Um, and they got that. Uh, they have um, they have kids with special needs. You know, mm. it just beggars belief that, that that people who get a dog for such a specific need and for such a, a difficult, in some cases, job for a dog to be a support to a child with special needs with all the education out there without go out and buy from a puppy farm and get a puppy at 20 weeks when all the research is there to say that puppy for optimum socialization and behavior going forward needs to be in the home at eight weeks. So, you know, you're bashing your head against a brick wall sometimes, honest to God. Well, I mean, that's really shocking because certainly that's illegal, definitely in the UK, to neuter mm. before six months. I mean, even then, you know, you may have heard on my podcast, Deirdre, you know, I'm not, not a massive fan of neutering anyway, due yeah. for health reasons, not for breeding. You know, I mean, you can yeah. have a an entire dog or bitch and, and never have puppies from them. I mean, it's not mandatory. It's just from a from a health perspective. But... Yeah, so I don't know what the law is in Ireland. I'm just thinking that could be another strand for John to hit with, really. I've never discussed that with him. You might even be aware that that's legal here in Ireland, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and no, I'll do that. Um, I'll do that. No, I, anyway, we digress because what <laughs> I really want to talk about, although this is all, I think, really interesting to our listeners and hopefully informative, because of all, you know, these dog websites now where people just buy a dog like they buy a Hoover, Deirdre. They put more thought into a Hoover, I sometimes think. They do. Well, I think the Kennel Club did research to say that people definitely do spend more research on what car they're going to buy. Well. Yeah, But all of this links to the fact that you've just launched a book, which I love because it's called Trained Puppies Don't Bite Children. And explain your, you know, inspiration behind the book. So I became a single mother by choice uh, 10 years ago. I was lucky enough to have twin girls. They're 10 now, just gone 10. Um, and I was always, you know, I was involved, heavily involved in a rescue at the time and had my own dogs and cats and was very much an animal lover. So I think my family were a little bit baffled at the time as to how I was going to cope with, you know, two-legged creatures. <laughs> I don't even minding four-legged up until now. So my lovely sister, uh, May, my twin sister, sent me over this book called French Children Don't Throw Food. And it was written by a woman called Pamela Druckerman, who was English, is English, um, but she had married a Frenchman and was raising her children in France. And she um, she couldn't understand that she couldn't she she was amazed at the difference between the kind of Anglican way of rearing children and the French way of rearing children, and that she said the French you know mothers seemed to have they had they had it together much more they their whole lives weren't lost in the children even though they were excellent mothers but they still maintained a bit of their own identity the children were well behaved the houses weren't a mess so she did all this research and she she wrote this book which became a massive bestseller and she's written several since. Um, so I was reading this book and, um, you know, I was recognizing traits in it that I did used um, not just with my children, my baby, the girls who were small at the time, but with the dogs. 
So, you know, most of it is common sense, but like one of the things she has is um, Le Cadre, which is the framework, which, you know, she basically says, you know, have a framework for how your dog, how you expect your dog to behave. And there will be three or four maybe really strict rules, but then there'll be leeway, you know, to give your dog a little bit of sense of making their own decisions, enjoying themselves, you know, sensory pleasures is one of them, which I don't think is as naughty as we think it is. <laughs> you know, yeah. they dig a hole, smell, be, be dogs, be the people, that they were, you know, the dogs they're meant to be. Um, you know, things about diet, variety, which you and I would agree on very much so with food, that variety is excellent for dogs. Um, so it's all about setting boundaries, but also respecting the dog in front of you, allowing them to be a dog. Um, so yeah, it, she, she wrote then kind of a more concise version with a hundred top tips, which I found really easy to kind of refer back to. And I just got this light bulb moment that this would be a really good format to kind of emulate with a, a doggy version. So yeah, that's how it came along. Yeah, and I love this book because as you say, these top 100 tips, I really love the short concise chapters in in the book because you know people do have a problem with um attention at the moment so it's it's snappy and uh, no pun intended there and it covers like in a way it's a bit old-fashioned but isn't that because we're trying to change what dogs are Deirdre you know this expression that I can't do it anymore. I did it to join in, you know, but I never thought it was a very good idea to call myself a pet parent because it, it gives the impression that you are actually raising a toddler in a furry suit. And that can be very dangerous. Explain uh, why. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the term isn't as prevalent over here. And as far as I'm concerned, the law states that I'm my dog's owner and I will continue to use that term <laughs> until I'm forced otherwise. Um, but um, yeah, by, by reference to your old fashioned, you know, I think on one level, that's a good thing because I think we've gotten a little bit lost and a little bit overanalyzed, I think, maybe our relationship with our dogs to the point where, you know, you and I will agree on this, you know, the likes of sending them to doggy daycare and, you know, kennels aren't kennels anymore, they're doggy hotels and you don't send them to the groomer, you send them to, you know, pampering palace and, and get their toenails done, you know. Um, and at the end of the day, dogs were given the, the, the title of being our best friend. And if we scrape away all that and just spend quality time with our dog, you know, hanging out with our dog. I've just come back from a camping trip. I brought one of my dogs and we just had a lovely time just hanging out you know, going on all these lovely walks, sleeping together, um, having lunch together, eating different things, seeing different experiences, spending time with our dogs. That's what builds the relationship and, and creates that loyalty that we all really want. If your dog is off playing with other dogs all day long and walk by a dog walker or, you know, as is the case in Ireland, sometimes wandering around the streets, getting its enjoyment and fun fr from God knows what you won't have a relationship. And without a relationship, everything you can do all the training in the world, but everything will break down without that sense of loyalty and devotion that only comes from being your dog's best friend. Absolutely. And as you say, I think people are scared of boundaries. I can't give my dog a boundary. You know, I can't say no to my dog. And, and there are trainers here that say you simply can't say no to your dog. I know. And, you know, I flitted around a lot with how much I would include in that in the book, but I, I knew I didn't want to exclude it totally because I didn't think that was fair to, you know, the dog owners out there, new puppy owners in particular, who, who just have no idea how to communicate. And I think they need education on how to put a boundary in 
fairly and kindly. So they're not looking at YouTube videos, looking at dogs getting electrocuted and prong collars being yanked around and think that that is the only other option. Um, you know, through our emotions and our body language and using long lines and using our brains, you can put it and training, which is often massively overlooked, just training them. The, even if people just put a bit of effort into training, you know, the instructive reprimands like leave it or stay or come or down. You know, so many people come to me and you, you as well, I'm sure. And, you know, the dog won't stop barking or it won't jump, come, get off the couch when you ask them. And you're like, well, have you taught it a quiet command? Have you taught it to get off the couch separate from the problem? Have you taught it to communicate with you and, and vice versa? And they won't have done that. So, you know, you don't have to, boundaries aren't about being cruel. They're about teaching your dog how to behave in our world. And, you know, our world can be an extremely stressful dog, time, place for a dog to live. You know, we expect them to, you know, live within our rules, follow our rituals, you know, adore our kids and not react to them, you know, walk around predominantly on a lead in some cases with all, you know, options taken around away from them being dragged around. You know, we put a lot of restrictions on them. Um, and I think, you know, it's our duty to teach them kindly how to behave in our world to make them happier and for us ultimately to have happier pets. Yes, oh gosh, I couldn't agree more, you know, particularly with people with puppies for the first time. I was asked recently at a session I did, okay, so when are we going to be able to sit on the sofa and and, and cuddle him? And so I, I said, well, in about 18 months' time, because yeah. <laughs> up until now, your, your cuddling section, I like a pie chart that's exercise boundaries and affection and the pie chart changes through the dog's life till you know the towards the end of your dog's life the biggest pie chart bit is the affection bit really because exercise gets less as the dog ages it has to be more appropriate little and often more and and so on I hope you agree you know rather than big long five mile hikes with a 12 year old dog that's got arthritis that's not really going to help that dog so it it, this so it's shifting really and understanding that this is a journey of hopefully 15 years or hopefully more but when you get your eight or 10 week old puppy, you've got to use training and communication and play time to be your your affection time because you're teaching the puppy to interact appropriately with humans and not to forget that he's a dog. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So true. Yeah, absolutely. Because separation anxiety then can become a problem and is a massive, massive problem. How do you explain to owners that have got separation anxiety issues to work through it in, in a nutshell? Um, it's a di- I don't see it as much as I'd say maybe in the UK. Um, I'd say maybe because maybe there isn't as many doggy daycares or conversely, people maybe see the problem and without... They don't happen in Ireland, unfortunately. People don't have the commitment, the same commitment maybe that some other countries would have to, to see through a problem. You know, I could write somebody out, you know, a separation anxiety program, going through the steps, building up, diff- you know, separation in different rooms, barriers, you know, all that kind of stuff. But not many people would see it through. You know, I think most people will either put the dog outside or get another dog, which, of course, is never the solution. Um <laughs> or, or start sending the dog to doggy daycare or, you know, 50% of the time the dog would just be left into the local pound. You know, 
people um they will create the problem but they won't necessarily be so keen to to solve the problem when push comes to shove unfortunately gosh that's so sad isn't it mind you you know, we're getting a lot of abandonment now here, you know, I mean, the pandemic, I think, has just ruined dogs. I mean, it's a, it's a terribly sad state of affairs that I think will go down in history. You know, a third of the 11 million dogs, so about four and a half million dogs were bought in the pandemic and 20% of those, that's over a million. There was no research done, apparently, according to the PDSA. I'm quoting these figures all the time at the moment, but their annual report this year was really quite different. You know, it even has a new category in there called the new pet owner, which they're going to really monitor apparently as the years go forward. So it's shifted so dramatically. But it's funny you mentioned they're getting another dog because so many people think, um, well, I had someone talk to me the other day, she is different, but same in a way. She got two cats, right? Because kittens, because she thought she's got a mouse problem and she thought oh well, I'll get two cats then I won't have to do anything with them and because they'll entertain each other classic and now of course there's little cat cat issues um developing and I just think golly because you know bringing another dog in you know is a big step isn't it Deirdre massive and you know I made this mistake years ago before I got involved in training when I was only a kid there used to be this um, Rottweiler who worked in the pub that I, I worked in at the time. And he was, you know, he, he had an okay life, but he was basically a guard dog. I used to sneak him into the pub and, and you know, I brought him out for walks and, you know, brought him out in a long line. And even then I kind of knew that he needed the grass, he needed to sniff, he needed time to just be a dog. And I remember the guy who was running the pub brought in, he had taken bad dog owner had bought this little puppy for the kids he got too older the puppies lost interest and he thought oh sure i'll just put pup. the dog was around a year old now i'll just put her in the yard with harvey this rottweiler and initially i was sad for the puppy this is 20 years ago but i, I initially i was like oh great harvey will have a friend you know they'll be running around together enjoying each other's company having a ball everything will be, i won't feel so bad for him and they just totally ignored each other totally ignored each other which i was i couldn't understand but of course, both of those dogs had been brought up in a household with no other dogs. So although they were they were what I would um, describe as totally neutral around other dogs, which is what we ultimately want, but what people don't realize they want. Um, and their bond was with people. So putting another dog in there made no difference to either of them. The Rottweiler ignored the terrier. The terrier kept trying to escape. And eventually I rehomed the terrier because she wasn't happy. She was going to kill us. So she got a lovely pet home. Um, but yeah, even back then I was flummoxed and it was only years later that I realized what had happened. You know, another dog isn't going to, if that person is missing people, throwing another dog into the mix isn't going to, you know, make them feel better if their relationship from eight weeks of age has been predominantly um, with people. So yeah, it, it, then you have two dogs potentially to be home, which, you know, has doubled your problem and society's problem. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, and there's lots, lots of other complications running a multi-animal household, really. It's it's a lot of hard work, you know, because there is, there is a hierarchy, you know, and this is where I think a lot of people go, oh, no, gosh, I can't talk about hierarchy, but there is, or have I got that completely wrong, Deirdre? Absolutely. And, and um, I think there's a chapter in my book there about it. I have five dogs. Um, they range in age from all, almost 18 um, to uh, three, uh, well, almost three, there'll be three in September. Um, they're all border collies, they're all bitches. 
the oldest one is new shirt the others aren't new shirt i'd be with you on that i'm new sure as i had to um and there is a hierarchy and the 18 year old even though she's getting on in years is a fantastic leader she is the boss she doesn't fight she's never had a fight in her life but she just has the confidence if she wants something the other dogs have she would just go and take it it's, it's remarkable to see there's never any aggression she would just take it and when the younger dog well she's nearly five now cassie came in she's a bit of an upstart and she did try a couple of times to you know take what what maggie the older dog had um i think i described this in the book and um one stage where I had actually given Cassie, I think the empty of a hummus container or something like that. And I left the room and Maggie, you know, saw it and thought, well, this is my house. That's my hummus container and went over and just took it off her. No aggression, just took it off her. But Cassie decided to, you know, argue over <laughs> over the hummus container, which was her right as a young, you know, adolescent. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and my instinct, your your natural instinct would be to berate maybe the older dog, say, oh, that's not yours. I gave that to Cassie and give it to Cassie. But I knew that Cassie was at a, a tricky age where she was going to potentially want to challenge this old dog. And I needed to show my support for the existing leader in the household, which was Maggie. So um, I gave Maggie the container and I kind of verbally reprimanded Cassie. It didn't hurt her or shouted or anything. I just went, oh, you know, don't do that. And I hunted her into the other room and closed the door and I let Cassie, Tilly or Maggie enjoy um, the hummus container. And to anyone else, that might seem unfair because I'd given it to Cassie. But, you know, there hasn't been an issue with them since. And and like Maggie's 18, Cassie is five because Cassie knows that Maggie has need to back her up and she won't try anything. They have the odd little growl, but she won't, she won't try anything because she knows I have Maggie's back. If she didn't know that, you know, things could have escalated into an actual fight and, and damage could have been done. So I wasn't prepared to do that. I was protecting my older, confident, very confident um dog in her place in the household and that's why things are reasonably um reasonably fine in the household there's never been a fight between any of the, any of the dogs um but i've spent the time as well building my relationship with each of them separately so you know hand in heart i could take any of those dogs away from the other dogs take them away for a week go on a holiday put them in kennels and they'd be fine because their relationship is is with me before each other um, and that's where people can get it wrong with these multi-dog households. They 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 allow the dogs to to be more important to each other than the owner is to each individual dog, and that's when chaos will ensue. Yeah, gosh, I know it's so right, and it is about rewarding the right one. Um, yeah, I, I won't go into it now, but I once did reward the wrong dog, the younger dog, and yeah, and I trained a very difficult situation that was ongoing and needed a huge amount of management on a daily basis. It's interesting, isn't it, to be talking a little bit like Harvey the Rottweiler grew up with a lot of people, so he wasn't interested in the terrier, which is, as you say, ideal. But so many people kind of focus on thinking that their dogs need to rush around and play and go hyper berserk with other dogs running off lead and, you know, rolling and playing and, and so on, that that's their socialization. Yet, you know, focusing on doing calm meet and greets with random people on the pavement, you know, when I say random, you know, you kind of get them the idea that they're a nice person and they might be interested in, you know, doing a little training session with you on the pavement, you know, to lighten their day as well, you know. But I've seen quite a few dogs recently that partly because of the pandemic, so going back to all of that, simply didn't have any opportunities to either get to know other dogs, but with people at the end of the day, the buck stops with you big time legally if your dog bites another human. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, I was dog training out on the Aran Islands there last Sunday. Um, it was my second time going out to this group of uh, puppies, the local bitch and the local dog had um, relations. And there was a litter of puppies and five of them stayed on the island. So rather than them going and getting help individually, potentially Galway or, or Claire, they invited me out, which was lovely. And the, the second time we went out, this older dog joined. It was a sprawly. Um, and she was all anxious about whether the dog would disrupt the other puppies or, you know, be a nuisance or whatever and I was a bit anxious as well you know because the other dogs kind of knew each other but it was the most beautiful I kept saying to them this is this is what you're aiming for he had the most beautiful body language and he loved people but he was just he, he was really relaxed he was watching the other dogs but he would pick up on their body language and, and back away at the slightest sign of worry and just ignore them and do all these he just had the most wonderful energy about him and he was a lovely example that I could say to these other puppy owners you know you might think you want a dog who sees another dog and throws themselves at them in joy and runs around playing. And I, I can see the attraction because you, you come home and your dog is tired. But I promise you, this is what you want. You want this dog who sees other dogs, totally re relaxed body language, low set tail, prick the ears. He would go and have a quick sniff or not. He wasn't bothered. I was like, this is exactly what you want. Um, so people people don't know what they want. And, you know, unfortunately, you hear dog trainers over here in Ireland. I heard one on the radio the other day, you know, promoting doggy daycares as ways to socialize your young puppy, which, you know, a lot of people think would make sense because you view socializing from a human point of view as you all going to the pub, hanging out, having the crack. But, you know, I think the word socialize, a lot of trainers would agree if that was just cancelled out in, in, in the dog training world. And, you know, um, change to I, I do TTI, teach to ignore, because that's ultimately what you're trying to do. Um, and there, there becomes a time in your child, in your in your dog child, <laughs> in your dog's upbringing, you know, where you flip a switch from socializing and making them friendly with everything in the world to when they're about four or five months to saying, right, now that you're OK with people, you've met lots of people, you know, they're not a threat. You've met a few dogs, you've seen trains, trucks, all the things. Now you need to work more towards being totally neutral in the presence of these things. And people don't get told that they just seem to or, or just seem to cling on to the whole social aspect of, you know, um, bringing your dog out and about in the world and habituation and and forget about the whole ignoring part. Um, and, you know, I'm always baffing on about it, as you probably are as well. Um, but yeah, it's tricky. It's tricky because it's not talked about as much. Just teach your dog to be calm and ignore everything. It's not yes. So much, is it? <laughs> no, and it's all tricky. Yes, I know. I mean, being sort of said to be, you know, rude to other people's dogs out and <laughs> out locally, you know, not sort of encouraging prudence, for example, to run and rough and tumble with them. But, you know, I'm well aware she's a bull terrier as well. And whilst, you know, her temperament is absolutely great, she is built like a tank. You know, one push of bruise paw on a dog's shoulder that's, say, a cavapoo, you know, could break her shoulder, the, the dog's shoulder, you know, with enough force. So it's a question of all of that you know common sense would you agree absolutely yeah absolutely um you know we've all seen the videos of dogs even just running in circles you know banging into people because they're so engrossed in running and playing with other dogs that they're a danger to you know normal people just walking by minding their own business um i think most court cases uh, i don't have facts and figures on this now but from what i i see online most court cases that deal with dangerous dogs or dogs out of control, or many of them, they're friendly dogs. They're not aggressive. They're just out of control. And the law in Ireland, anyways, doesn't say 
specifically dangerous dogs in regards to control. It's if your dog is out of control and a big boisterous Labrador at the end of a flexi lead running across, you know, and, you know, catching a bike or, or someone walking and damaging them. That's a dog out of control who could potentially lose their life because of the owner being a bit of an idiot, really, bringing a big Labrador out on a, on a flexi lead and letting them be totally out of control. Absolutely. Oh, my gosh. While we're on flexi leads, can we segue yeah. to long lines? Because Prue still has her five metre long line, you know, when she's you know off lead. I mean, she's yeah. on a long line. So I can exactly do that because there's so much going on in in London parks and I'm sure there there is over you know in Ireland joggers cyclists people on e-bikes toddlers on these scooters that I I don't really get why they're on them but they're on the scooters woo great fun I'm sure prams children bigger children it's like whoa you know this is a massive you know I describe it to people as like look this is your puppy is thinking this is Narnia you know it's like wow you know and and right you know you need to literally rein them in and have control because prudence you know she is built like a bolster could trip a jogger up really easily and then you know anything could happen and i've um, that's never happened and touch wood it never is going to happen but i have to be mindful for it because prudence follows her nose and is oblivious you know she runs through other dogs poo because she's oblivious she's got a scent and she's following that scent do you know what I mean? So long lines can work really, really well, can't they? As And definitely not flexi leads. Oh, yeah, I swear by long lines. Absolutely swear by them. And I remember years ago, before I really got involved in too much training, my first dog, Oscar, he was a mix between a lab and a boxer. And I'd just been to um, John Rogerson courses. I know you were a fan of the late John Rogerson as well. He was a massive influence on, on my life and my career. Um, and I, he introduced flexi leads and I'd come home from a course and I was all gung-ho and I did. He was on a flexi lead. Sorry, flexi lead. No, long line, long line. He was on, he, he was a rescue dog and he was on a long line for I'd say a good six months he was he'd run up to other dogs up to people he'd knock them over he was boisterous like your like your dog and I remember I came to a point where I went oh my god it's worked he's fantastic he has a recall in every scenario whatever the distraction he's wonderful and it was at maybe eight, eight meters maybe or six to seven meters at this stage and I was like right the day has come now we can just take it off so I took off the long line brought him to the local park and no joke it was like all the previous six months training had just fallen out of his head and splattered all over the floor (laughs) he he went totally just totally ignored me was running up to other people running up to other dogs I was just flummoxed and of course I'd forgotten one bit of the training and advice from John is that once you get to a standard that you're happy with then you, you need to gradually decrease you and the dog's reliability on um the long line so you know, going put the long line back on, did a couple of weeks more training. And then every week I cut a meter off the line. And within six weeks, then he was fully off the line and the behavior was maintained. But yeah, it was a valuable lesson. I still tell people that story, you know, not to just take it off one day, you know, do gradually. But yeah, it's massive because it's it's just setting your dog up for success. You know, they're never going to be rewarded for all that behavior that you ultimately don't want them to be doing. You know, running up to people, knocking over people, having picnics chasing bikes chasing squirrels you know it's just a fantastic management tool 
really is. And so simple, you know, so simple. But you've really channeled all this fabulous energy, you know, and love for dogs into lots of competition work, which I just wish more people would get involved with agility, for example, you know, which I know you do to a very high level. It's hard in London. So there aren't that many sort of agility places, but there are some. But 20 years ago, that's what people were more likely to do with their dogs, you know, find places to go and do activities to channel a dog's energy and natural behaviours in a controlled way with like-minded people, with experienced structures, instructors to learn and be out in the rain with your wellies on, knee deep in mud, running around and in agility course although you wouldn't if you were knee deep in mud I'm exaggerating but I do remember one time I was down at Roger Mugford's farm I mean I used to drive from Hackney down to Surrey to which is quite far every weekend with Molly and do agility and there was I was actually fostering a dog and I took him down and I'll never forget this it really started to rain like really bad and this um, bull terrier would not get off the dog walk you know the walking the plank as lots of people think of it as you know that that particular obstacle you know well Deirdre the plank um yeah, the dog so walk the dog yeah. walk just loved it just was like hey I'm up here and I'm not getting off now this is where positive reinforcement and slight common sense totally clashed bearing in mind it was really raining I had to actually borrow somebody else's trousers so that yeah. I could drive all the way back to Hackney and not get pneumonia because I'd only brought one set of clothes with me right? It was that bad. We could not encourage this dog off the dog walk or, you know, put him on a lead and guide him down and say, look, it's pouring with rain now, (laughs) game over. We -hmm. had to wait in this pouring rain till he chose to come off and then we were able to reward him. Now, meanwhile, we, me and the instructor, you know, we all, we went down with like heavy colds. It was like really ridiculous. What would you say to that? Had we ruined the training moment there of choice? I think that a lot of dogs like the heights, don't they? When they get up on an A-frame or a dog walk and they're new to it, you know, the view is, is amazing. They absolutely love it. Um, so obviously in that moment, the view or the, the feeling of being up high was more rewarding to that dog than, you know, what what you could offer him or her. Um, or potentially there was a bit of anxiety, you know, like a bird, you know, a, a cat climbing a tree. They're all very brave going up, but maybe not so brave coming back down. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, listen, training is a fantastic activity. Um, I've, I've, I've started doing a drop in class here in Ireland Um because, you know, being a trainer, you know, you'll say this as well, Anna, it can be frustrating, it can be repetitive, it can take its toll, you know, um, and I found myself after, you know, 15 years just getting a little bit, I wasn't looking forward to doing the typical training classes of puppy, you know, basic obedience, I wasn't looking forward to, I wasn't looking forward to it, so I was like, listen, there's no point in doing something if you aren't enjoying it, so I changed it up to a dog uh, dropping class, and I said, right, I want to, I want to be able to service, you know, new puppy owners who want to learn your typical commands, but I also want to attract, you know, dog enthusiasts, and I remember John Rogerson always had this differentiation between your dog owner and your dog enthusiast, I don't know, does it, bring back memories for you and um, your dog owners will only do a certain amount they just want a pet dog and that's fine there's nothing wrong with that but your dog enthusiasts they're the ones who go the extra mile they're the ones who you know like you described will trudge through the mud and and, and travel for miles to, to do something fun with their dogs and they're the people that will really keep you as a trainer 
interested and motivated because they'll they'll do the work. So half the class was a basic obedience. So we might do a bit of um, uh, stay training, recall training, lead training, you know, the basic stuff that your new puppy owner wants. But then the other half then will be, I'll bring some agility equipment and we'll just have a little bit of taster of agility, um, do a bit of scent detection one week. We did something which I really want to get into more. And I think it's a great new sport, man trailing, because it involves no skill, very little skill on the part of the owner. You know, it's all the skill of the trainer and the skill, the natural ability of the dog. Um, and it's on lead. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting a bit more involved in that in the winter and um, to get, you know, like you said, get these people, find them who want to get out and have fun with their dogs, in, you know, all weather, any place. You know, are you familiar with man trailing? Is, is there, is well, yeah. Thing? Well, no, yeah. absolutely. Well, I mean, I do a bit of that. Well, I, do, I say I do a bit of that. You know, um, there was one client that was having real problems with with the recall with their little terrier mix. And so we went to the park and everything. And the, the first thing I said was, right, the couple. So I said, right, you go and hide behind that tree. And I've got the dog focused looking at me, although the dog you know, knew obviously where they were um, because of their, their sense of smell. And you go and hide behind those bushes right over there all right and they were thinking well what what on earth are we going to do this for we want you to help us with our recall and I went yes exactly so Mm -hmm. I said right I'm going to focus the dog then I want you to call her when I go now and then let's see how good the recall is and of course, because they, they, you must do that. They've gone away. Yeah, they, she can't see them. The, the panic and the drive then to think, gosh, where am I? Where am I? Where are that? Where have they gone? You know, kicks in and enhances the recall. And it's a great hide and seek game. So kind of a, well, not exactly the same as man trailing. I've never done it, but I have spoken to um, a trainer who has bloodhounds and yeah. does proper man trailing with the dog of all dogs to do it. So, and that was really, really interesting. But I just think tapping into, yeah, 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 you know, all faction and sniffing things out is is my absolute favorite thing to do you know because I trained prude and I'm <laughs> to find the British truffle and um, I really must do that I mean I've noticed that there are there's this company called the English Truffle Firm and they I, they get their I get their newsletters so I looked at one the other day and they're looking for dogs to hire out I'm not sure <laughs> but um we'll see we'll see but um that's that's quite a growing market really you see all these cheeses now infused with British truffle and I just think it's um I just find it a bit amusing really and I think that's the other thing training should be fun I think everyone thinks it's going to be boring and whatever and and it is you have to make it fun absolutely yeah yeah and you know I'll say it to people I'll do a one-to-one I would spend maybe the first half an hour just teaching the dog to play I'll have a box full of toys and I'll be like right what what breed is this what was it bred to do what do you think it'll enjoy to do what does it play with um and we we go through various different toys until we find the one that that motivates them it might be a lure it might be squeaky it might be something big soft hard you know and we find something that really makes that dog's eyes light up and we will play 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 and i'll be trying to say to them listen this might seem to you to be you know we're just having the crack with the dog this might seem to you what you want from this dog or what from this session but i promise you if you don't start with motivation and working on what your dog wants, you're never going to have that control because that's what leads to control is you controlling what the dog absolutely loves in life and being part of that game. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm just 
continuously trying to get that into them. And actually, one of the, the ladies on, on Inishir, you know, she said she had one of her little pups, she said she couldn't believe that when she brings her ball out on the walk, that even if she's just holding the ball, her little pup will just ignore all the tourists. She'll walk past the horses off lead, ignore other dogs. Once she has a ball in her hand, she the dog just totally ignores everyone and is totally focused on her. She said she couldn't believe she never thought of doing that. Um, so to have those little breakthroughs is wonderful because that dog will now have a life where he'll have off lead freedom on a beautiful island without being a nuisance to people and will be a happier dog and a happier owner. So it, it does feel good when the penny does drop. Um, but some some owners can find it hard to grasp, I think. Yes. Oh, no. When when it all goes really well, it's um extremely uplifting. I get really excited and happy and that's that's great. And it's great sometimes to be sort of a bit of a detective, really, with older yeah. dogs thinking, I wonder why you're doing that. And then going back a few paces. So it, it is. It's fun. It's fun. And that's what it should be, really, or a challenge sometimes, you know, Deirdre. But, um, oh, gosh, you know, again, we must just plug the book because, you know, <laughs> I, I love it. You know, I, there's so many dog training books out there and I'm going to recommend this one, you know, more and more, actually. And I've spoken to a couple of people like Sue Evans, who's one of my great mentors about this book already. She's up in Shropshire doing her dog training handler course. OK, so it's where dog trainers are actually learning how to train the humans to train the dogs, if you see what I mean. So becoming actual training the human side of things um, as well as training. So it's all actual dog trainers who are there learning how to handle classes, something I really, really want to do. But it's just finding cover Mm -hmm. for for prudence, really, um, is one of my big worries. And, And obviously cover for Gremlin, my cat, although sadly, He's passed recently, so he's no longer a problem from, oh, he's never a problem. He was never a problem. But, you know, finding the right person to look after him was a problem because I'm ridiculously fussy. I'm rightly so, rightly so. Someone said to me once, you know, surely Annie could just find someone to look after the dogs. I'm like, do you really know what you've just said? It's like, (laughs) no, I can't actually. It's like, you're mad. Oh, anyway, but Deirdre, look, I really, really would love to touch base again, to be honest with you, and catch up and particularly link in a bit more, perhaps talking about Dog Advocacy Island and the progress there, because I do feel if only puppy farms could be stopped, right, then... I know it sounds weird, but less people would be able to have dogs because they wouldn't be able to buy dogs because there wouldn't be any for sale on the Internet. Because obviously responsible breeders would never sell their puppies on the Internet. And there's a waiting list and people who do it correctly um, are very, very fussy about who has their dogs. Mm -hmm. So and it would mean to less abandonment and the whole picture would be better. Yeah, it goes without saying, I I think it was a backward step when they actually legalized you know puppy farms and and got them to have licenses you know no breeder worth their salt I think would have anything more than 10 breeding bitches at any time and even then that would be a full-time commitment for probably two or three people um yeah it beggars belief and it's I don't I don't see it changing anytime soon unfortunately but you know, thankfully for John, you know, he knows what he's doing. He, he he worked in the public service industry. He knows how these things work behind the scenes. And, you know, fingers crossed, he'd be chipping away and more people would get involved um, because it really is just shocking that it's still going on, really. Oh, utterly shocking. 
Yes, indeed. Well, let's regroup and talk about all of that in more detail. Um, but Deirdre, in a nutshell, your book is called? It's called Clean Puppies Don't Bite Children. It's available on Amazon as an ebook. Hopefully I'll get a print version. The first print version was sold out. So hopefully I'll get a, another print version going through Amazon, maybe in September. Um, I also have an online dog training course. If you go to my website, drdogcare.ie, it's called Zen Your Dog. And if you sign up for my brutal email because I haven't done an email in about three months but if you sign up for my email list you will get the first lesson free and that is all about motivation um, and body language and has a whole lesson there on luring as well and videos so that's a free lesson there if anyone wants to go and have a look send your dog on deardogcare.ie Gosh, that's brilliant, Deirdre. Well, look, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I really, really, really want to keep in touch. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. That's our show, Mr. Binks. What did you think? Yes, I think it is really interesting when you recognise that you're a dog and I'm a human. What's that? Yes, you're right. It's time for Woof of the Week. It might sound old-fashioned, but spending time with your own dog, walking, grooming, training, socialising, really pays dividends. Then the sky's your limit. Well, I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, go on, rate and review the show wherever you tune into your podcasts. Thanks again, of course, to Deirdre Ryan for joining us today and talking about her book, Trained Puppies Don't Bite Children. Thanks, of course, to Mike Hansen for all the music and the production as ever. What's that, Mr. Binks? You're right. We will be back in your feed next Sunday. So go on, subscribe. It's free. And that way you'll never miss another show. Bye for now. Bye for now.